Morning, Orchard. Take out your Bibles this morning. And one last time this summer, turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28, uh, verse 13. We're going to be concluding our summer series uh, from the book of Proverbs. We've called this Insights from a Wise Guy. And today we're going to be finishing up part two of what we talked about last week, which is popular sins from Proverbs that we want to learn to avoid. Um, as you guys are finding your way to Proverbs 28, 13, um, I've got a little something to share with you guys. Uh, believe it or not, when I was growing up, uh, I loved to do magic tricks. And any guys like magic? You like magic show, magic tricks? Okay, three people? All right, well then I won't do it. Forget it. <laughs> How many of y'all like to see a magic trick this morning to start out? Okay, that's a little bit. Show some love. Let's go. But when I was a kid, I really got fascinated. I think the first magician I remember watching on TV was like David Copperfield. And I was just, you know, enamored by that. And so my parents bought me my first little magic trick kit. And the first trick that I ever learned was this trick I'm going to show you this morning, the three-rope trick. And, and I've had this thing for like 30-plus years, and, and it was the first one I ever learned. And I actually got pretty good at doing magic, and I started, as I got a little bit older, I started doing magic shows for birthday parties. I would do magic at our church, and I'd do gospel magic. Parents don't get any ideas. I'm not doing your kids' birthday parties. I've retired from my magic a long time ago. But this was my first trick I ever learned, and it was also, whenever I would do a magic show, I would always start with this trick, the three-rope trick. And it actually is a really great trick to uh, give a spiritual illustration, because we're talking about popular sins. And we, as humans, tend to think of sins and view them differently than God does. As, as humans, uh, we think of sins as like different degrees and different levels. So like this small piece of rope would represent like a small sin, you know, like a little white lie, something that you would tell, you know, that, that'd be like a small sin. This medium rope would represent a little bigger sin, like maybe stealing something. And then this large piece of rope would, would represent a really large sin, a really big sin, like murdering somebody or, you know, like rooting for the Patriots or something <laughs> like that. But, um, you know, we, we tend to think of sins in different degrees, small, medium, and large. But as you read the scripture, what you're going to find out is that God treats all sin the same. And he, he believes that, you know, one sin is the same as another sin. If you sin, they're all equal in God's eyes. <laughs> Pastoring doesn't work out. I have something to fall back on. But... Um, you know, so God, God sees them as equal, but as humans, we tend to think of the sin still as separate, small, medium, and large sins. So this morning, somebody asked me after the first service, how did you do that? I said, very well, I thought. But uh, anyway, you know, James chapter 2 verse 10 says that if somebody has committed one sin, they're just as guilty of committing all sins because we have all broken God's laws. Amen? We have. I mean, let me ask you guys this morning. How many of you think back hard enough last week, you might have sinned at least once since last Sunday and we met together? Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Okay. Anybody not raising your hand? You just sinned for the week because you weren't honest with everyone else that's here. Bible says in Romans 3.23, we have all what? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's the bad news. So if you're a guest here at Orchard Church this morning, welcome to Orchard Church. We're all just a bunch of sinners. But here's the good news. God has a remedy for sin. And look at what Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says. This will encourage you this morning. It says, he who covers his sins will not what? Prosper. He will not get ahead. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have what? Mercy. 
Mercy. That's all God is asking us to do. We all make mistakes. We have all broken God's law. We've all sinned at different times and we struggle with this. And all God is asking us to do is recognize our sins, confess our sins, and forsake our sins. And when we do, we experience the mercy and the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God. Amen? Something that we all need in our life. And this is why we're studying popular sins from Proverbs. So we, could, we might be aware of some of the sins that maybe we are committing. Maybe we didn't even realize. And we can make them right and experience the mercy of God. Because he's our Heavenly Father. And we're his children. And he loves us. And he wants to forgive us. And he wants to give us mercy. I know when I was raising my kids when they were younger. And you know, they would do something that we asked them not to do. When they would show remorse for that. And they would feel sorry and say I'm sorry. It was much easier to show mercy and grace to them. And our Heavenly Father is the same way. So we started looking at popular sins that you read about in the book of Proverbs last week. Marcial, our Spanish pastor, did a wonderful job bringing the message. And he just looked at one sin last week. And it's the sin of drunkenness. Now, I don't know why we chose him to do that one. I don't know if we thought he was an expert in that subject or what. But, but he covered very eloquently the sin of drunkenness. Not the sin of drinking, but the sin of drunkenness. And being controlled by something other than being controlled by the Spirit and Word of God. And he did a great job of expounding on that. That it's not just about being controlled by you know, a foreign substance. But there's lots of things we can be controlled by in our life. And God wants us to be controlled by His Spirit and His Word. Amen? And so we, we dealt with the popular sin of drunkenness. Now, the popular sin of drunkenness is um, an obvious sin. I mean, when someone's drunk, everybody knows it. I mean, you, you hear it in the way they talk. You see it in the way they walk. You see it in their eyes. Unfortunately, how they, if they drive drunk, horrible thing, you, it's obvious. You know, sometimes I've gone to the Rockies games and there'll be somebody in our section and they'll have one too many to drink. And at first it's funny and then it's obnoxious and everybody knows about it. And, uh, but I try to give them a break because it is a Rockies game and that'll drive anybody to drink these days. But uh, it's obvious to everybody. But these next sins we're going to look at today, we're going to look at three more sins that are popular sins for Proverbs. They're not quite as obvious. They begin in the heart and they manifest themselves in different ways in our life. And we probably have all struggled with these at one point or another. And many of us struggle with these on a regular basis. So I hope you'll take some notes this morning so we can avoid these popular sins and receive the mercy and forgiveness of God. First one is greed. The first one is the popular sin of greed. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 19. And again, we'll be popping around Proverbs, so be ready to turn pages or scroll through on your mobile devices. Proverbs 1, verse 19, about greed. It says, So are the ways of everyone who is what? Greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. As we're going to see throughout Proverbs in the scripture, when we're greedy, we're only hurting ourselves and other people. We're, we're, it's not making us better. It's not helping us get ahead. It's, it's worse when we struggle with greed. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27. Another verse in Proverbs about greed. Proverbs 15, 27. Again. The problem of greed. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own what? His own house, his own life, his own marriage, his relationship with his kids. He just brings trouble, but he who hates a bribe will live. Uh, greed can cause problems for us and cause us to do some strange things. I heard a story about a grandmother who took her little grandson to church one day. And as they were going in the door, she gave her grandson a dollar. And she said, now when the offering plate comes by, I want you to give God this dollar and give back to God and be generous. And the little boy, you know, eyes were wide. He's like looking at this dollar. Wow, I got a dollar. Might as well have been $100 to him. And so he clinched onto the dollar and 
they were getting ready to take the offering and grandma said, okay, get your dollar ready. Well, he got the dollar, but he was holding on to it really tight. And they started playing the music and the closer that the offering bucket got to him, the tighter he held the dollar and he was doing like this and he, was, he didn't want to give the dollar. And so finally the offering bucket came by and his grandma said, now put the dollar in. He reluctantly threw the dollar into the offering bucket. And he was really upset. He started getting fidgety and agitated and was kind of crying. And so the grandma said, you know what? Um, do, do you just need to go to the nursery this morning, you know, to your kid's class? Maybe that'd be better. He was like, yeah. And so she grabbed him by the hand, took, get ready to take him out of the church. And she passed by the ushers who were counting the money that they had uh, just received. And the little boy said uh, to the usher, hey, can I have my dollar back? We're not staying. <laughs> we're like that sometimes. Greed can lead us to do some and say some ridiculous things. Money Magazine recently did a survey about how greedy we are as Americans. They said 24% of Americans wouldn't correct a waiter if they were given the wrong change. 10% of Americans said if they found a wallet with money in it, they wouldn't give the money back. 25% uh, of Americans said that they would commit a crime for a million dollars if they knew they wouldn't get caught. The sin of greed causes us to do those things. Paul addressed this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Help me out, church. He said, for the love. See, a lot of people misquote this verse. They say, money's the root of all evil. Money's not the problem. Money is all moral. Money, you can use money for good or you can use money for bad. The problem is our attitude toward money. The love of money, the wrong attitude, is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their what? In their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. That's echoing the same thing that we read in Proverbs, that we bring trouble to ourselves, we bring trouble to our house, we bring trouble, trouble to our relationships. We only hurt ourselves when we're greedy. Another word for greed in the Bible is covetousness. And the dictionary defines covetousness this way. It's, it's grasping for more. One more dollar, one more possession, one more hobby, one more thing. I did a Google image search on the word greed, and this is the first thing that came up right there. <laughs> Can you just see the greed in her eyes? Can I get one more baby doll in here? A lot of people live their life just like this. One more. They need one more thing, one more dollar. Now, now why is greed... So sinful. Why is it considered a sin in, in Proverbs throughout the Bible? Here's why. Don't miss this. Because greed puts something else in the place that God is intended to occupy in our life. That's the problem with greed. God wants to be the one that satisfies us and fulfills us and brings contentment to our life. And greed and covetousness puts something in the place of God. And, and God calls covetousness by another word in the Bible, idolatry. And we know how much the Bible speaks out against idolatry. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, Paul said it like this. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or say it, church, greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is what kind of person? They're an idolater. I mean, this is God's words, not mine. Worshiping the things of this world. When we, we think of idolatry, we tend to think of like a little tiki doll or a little Buddha. You know, you rub his belly and you pray, Buddha, Buddha, bless the Buddha, stuff like that. <laughs> Thanks for the courtesy laugh over here. Appreciate it. We, we think of like idols, but idolatry is more than just tiki dolls and Buddha dolls and statues. You know, we, we, if we're not careful, we can all have idols in our life because of our greed. Our possessions can be our idols. Our careers can be our idols. Our hobbies can be our idols. Even our relationships can be our idols. You know your family can be an idol if you're not careful. 
and get in the place of God. God's got to be number one in our life. But here's the good news. There's a cure for greed. There's a cure for greed. Let me give you two cures for greed from the scriptures. The first cure is this, contentment. You can't be content and greedy at the same time. If you agree, say yes. One of the cures for greediness is contentment. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. He said, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. People that are greedy want more wealth and more things and more stuff. And Paul says, listen, you want to have great wealth, something that money can't buy? Be godly and be content. That's something that people with a lot of stuff and money don't have. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we, can take, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So we, we have enough food and clothing. Let us be what, church? Let us be content. Contentment is one of the cures for greediness. We brought nothing into this world. We take nothing out of this world. If we have food and clothing, and God's taking care of us to meet our needs, not our wants, our needs, not our greeds, then we can learn to be content. Rockefeller was one of the richest Americans to ever live. And when he was alive, somebody one time asked Rockefeller, at the time he was the richest man, one of the richest men in the world, they asked him, they said, how much money is enough? And he said, just one more dollar than I have. And then when he died at his funeral, someone went up to his accountant and asked, how much did he leave behind? And quickly the accountant said, all of it. All of it. We brought nothing into this world. We take nothing out of this world. I've done my fair share of funerals as a pastor, and I've never seen a U-Haul hooked up to the hearse. It doesn't go with us. And one of the cures for greediness is to learn to be content with what God has given us and blessed us with. Now, does this mean that if we have nice things and maybe we have some wealth that we're a greedy person? No, not necessarily. You see, it's, it's okay to have nice things as long as nice things don't have you and they don't have me. It's our heart. It's our attitude. As you read through the scriptures, there were a lot of wealthy, godly men that God had blessed them with their wealth to do great things with it. Abraham, Solomon, David were all wealthy and yet godly men. Greed is when we want more than we really need and we keep more than God would desire us to give to help others. And that leads us to the second cure, which is generosity. Cures for greed are contentment and then generosity. You can't be generous and greedy at the same time. They're like oil and water. They don't mix. Isaiah 32, 8 says, but generous people plan to do what is what? Generous. And they stand firm in their generosity, not their greed. Two opposite things. And greed keeps a lot of people from giving to other people and giving to God to advance his kingdom and his redemptive purposes around the world. And generosity is one of the greatest cures in America for, for greed. And, and I want to say this again. Thank you, Orchard Church, for being a generous church. This is one of the most generous churches I have ever been a part of as a collective whole. But it doesn't necessarily mean that every person that calls Orchard Church their church is generous. But as a whole, this is a very generous giving church. We're able to support three feeding centers completely as a church around the world, in Philippines, Mexico, and Haiti. One example of your generosity is being displayed right now. We're collecting the Christmas shoeboxes now in August so we can pack those and we can put them on ships and send them around the world to over 500 kids in our feeding center so they can have Christmas. Isn't it fun to get to do that? But here's how generous you guys are. Last week, I think we had 500 shoeboxes here. And before the 11 o'clock service, we ran out of shoeboxes. 
Because you guys are that generous. Can we praise God for that? That's generosity. We, we just had people, we had to talk about the sin of anger because people in the 11 o'clock service were angry because we, they didn't have any shoeboxes. And so we, got, we went out and got 150 more this week and so we could help fill those and show your generosity. This last week, we, um, as a leadership team, uh, the staff here at Orchard Church, we have 15 people now serving on our, our, our leadership team, on our staff. Some are full-time, some are part-time, and once a month, we all come together. And we've been praying for Orchard Church as we get to embark on a historic time in the life of this church. And we have the opportunity to build our first permanent facility. And we, we've purchased the land next door and it's paid for. And, and now we want to put a building on that land. And Lord willing, keep praying. Um, we're going to be able to break ground in January, February of next year. So be praying for that. Uh, things are going smooth so far with the city. And we're making plans and working with the architect. And the drawings are done and all of that. You guys are like, when are we going to see it? 10th anniversary, September 20th. You're going to see the new building, so you don't want to miss that day. But as we were meeting as a team, we, we said, what's it going to take for us to not only build this building, it's like 51,358 square feet, 1,250-seat auditorium. We're going to be able to go from three services to two services and yet double our capacity to reach people for Christ. And, we, and yeah, praise God for that. But here's the deal. If you've been around here for any time, we're a church. One of our values is we're going to act our wage. And we, we want to build a building and we want to be able to pay for this thing as quickly as possible and free up money for ministry around the world to plant more churches and support missionaries. And so we want to be debt-free as quickly as we can be. And so we as a team, we're brainstorming on a whiteboard. What's it going to take? And the first thing somebody said is generosity. And then we said, well, what would keep us from being able to pay for this building, you know, in three to five years? And the first word that came out was greed. We, we can't be greedy and generous at the same time. And, and we're going to talk more about this as we enter into the fall. And I cannot wait to share with you guys the incredible things that God is doing that we get to be a part of and join him in his work. But just to give you a little sneak peek, just let me ask you, Orchard Church, would it be okay with you guys as a church if we were able to build a 51,000 square foot building right next to Prairie View High School and have that thing paid off in three to four years and save three, listen, and save $3.2 million in interest payments by paying it off in three to four years? Would that be okay with you guys? If we were able to do that, freeing up over a half a million dollars every year that can go into ministry instead of paying for a building payment, we've done the math and it's possible. Now, God is going to have to do some amazing, miraculous things in the hearts of all of us because I've got some good news and I got some bad news when it comes to building this building. The good news is we've done the math. And, and our consultant has told us, based upon the number of people that are attending Orchard Church and the giving patterns of Orchard Church, if we will be generous, he said, I believe that there's a chance that Orchard Church could have a paid-for building in three to four years. We have all the money. Here's the good news. We already have all the money that we need to have a paid-for building in three to four years. Here's the bad news. It's still in our wallets and bank accounts. <laughs> so what are we praying that God would lead us to be generous, to be generous even more than we have. We're going to see God do amazing things. So the cure for greed is contentment and generosity. Let's look at another popular sin. I hope you guys are excited about uh, the days ahead. I, I know I am. Um, another sin. Parents, you're going to want to pay attention to this. Kids that may be in here, maybe you're not in the kids' class, you definitely want to pay attention to this. 
Another popular sin we read about in Proverbs is the sin of disrespect. Especially kids disrespecting their parents. This is talked about throughout Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17. I should have all the parents' attention right now. Taking feverish notes on this one. Disrespect. Now, there is quite the description of how God feels about kids who disrespect their parents in Proverbs 30, verse 17. Watch this. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother. In other words, they're disrespectful. The ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. Yeah, let's just have a, ooh. I heard one parent go, oh, yeah. Now, now this is a verse, Proverbs 30, 17, you're probably not going to have on a plaque hanging in your living room at your house. I mean, it's a picture of a dead corpse that has not been buried, and the vultures and eagles are coming, and they're picking off of it. It, it reminds me of a scene out of, like, Walking Dead. You know, I might watch that every once in a while. So... But here's the deal. You, you might not have this as a plaque in your living room, but it might not be an, a, a bad idea to put it on a poster in your kid's room as a reminder of how God feels about the sin of disrespect of kids towards their parents. In the nation of Israel, disrespect of kids to their parents was the most disrespectful thing that you could do. The reason is because disrespect to parents violates the fifth commandment of God in the Ten Commandments. Paul reminded us of this in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. He said, children, what's the next word? Obey. Parents, you can do better than that. You should have like been screaming this one. Children, obey. obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you'll have a long life on the earth. And Proverbs lets us know one of the worst sins that a, that a kid can commit is the disrespect of parents. And, we're, and you see a lot of this today, don't you? I mean, I think it's gotten much worse in the last 20, 30, 40 years. And I think, you know what, I'm not against TV and I'm not against movies and all that kind of stuff. But you watch a lot of the sitcoms about families and have you noticed the disrespect of kids towards parents? They're learning this stuff. I mean, have you ever watched a little show called Simpsons? little guy named Bart, I just want to take that guy and, you know, put him over my knee or something. The disrespect is there. We got a lot of little Bart Simpsons running around, you know, calling their dad by the first name and being disrespectful. You know, in, in our home growing up, in the Dameron household, we didn't have a lot of rules. We really didn't. But there were a couple of them. And if you broke these, there were consequences. One of them was lying. Another one was stealing. And another one was disrespect. You know why? Because those are all integrity and character issues that if you don't get those straightened out in your kids, they will follow them the rest of their life. They'll follow them into school. They'll follow them into athletics. They'll follow them into college. They'll follow them into their workplace and their career. It'll follow them into their marriage. My dad, I, I grew up in a military home. My dad was a re retired Marine Corps gunny sergeant. Got any Marines here? Hooah! Come on. Got any Marines? <laughs> Um, and, and I live to tell about it. And, and I learned respect from my dad. And I, this may not be politically correct today, but I remember my dad saying many times to me, when I would try to be disrespectful, he would say, listen, Doug, let me tell you something. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. <laughs> and I believed he could. And I learned to respect my father. I'll never forget. 
When Caleb, our son, he's 19, going to be 20 next month. He's a, he's a college athlete, plays baseball. When he was about 12, 13, and he was entering the, the middle school years, the adolescent years, and, and he was starting to kind of become a man, and he, he thought he was all that in a bag of chips. And he was starting to get a little bit cocky and a little bit mouthy. Some of your parents have middle schools. You know what I'm talking about. And, and it was, it was you know, we were kind of trying to stay on top of it. It was kind of getting, getting a little bit out of hand. I remember right where we were, and, and we were driving one day, and we were pulling into a parking lot, and I was sitting in the front seat. Shelly uh, was sitting next to me, and he was in the back seat, and there was something that he wanted to buy or something, and he started getting mouthy and disrespectful and going off, and he was just going off on his mom. You know, I hate you, this and all this kind of stuff, being super disrespectful. And I just had enough. Now, I know I've told you parents, don't ever discipline out of anger. I broke that rule this day. And we pulled in the parking lot. I jumped out of the car. He's in the back seat. I opened his car door and I reached in, grabbed him by the shoulders, yanked him out of the car. And we were standing. I had one hand on each shoulder, nose to nose. He was 12, 13, and we were about nose to nose. <laughs> Oh, sure, you laugh at that one. <laughs> and, and I said, listen, I said, I don't know who you think you are, but you will not talk to your mother that way. Who raised you, who changed your diapers. Do you understand me? And honestly, that was a turning point in our relationship and in our family. And I don't ever after that remember him disrespecting his mom or myself in that way again. I don't ever remember. Now, he was 12 or 13. I could not do that to him today. He could probably do that to me, but I don't have to. I don't have to. Because I taught him respect. I, I want to help you guys be practical with this. If you're a parent, I hope you take some notes real quick. Let me give you five ways. Because as a parent, it's our resp responsibility to teach our kids to respect us and respect other authorities in their life. And parents, you have a responsibility to teach <laughs> to your kids. These are some things. I just jotted five things down that we did in our home that work. Maybe we'll help you. How do you teach your kids to be respectful? Number one, teach them words like please, thank you, excuse me, I'm sorry. Amen? Yeah. Teach them to use respectful words and have some manners. Teach them to be respectful to words. Number two, teach them that no means no. We had a saying in our house, delayed obedience is disobedience. No means no. No doesn't mean maybe. No doesn't mean we'll see. No means no. No means no. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, we got to be careful. I know I, I, I'm guilty. I've done it too. But we, we tried to stop doing this uh, back in the day with our kids. You know, there was that thing going around. One. Two. Two and a quarter. But you got to be careful of that, parents, because you're teaching your kids that delayed obedience is okay. Try that when they're about to run out in the street and get hit. One, two, three. No. You, you, no means no. Teach them respect. Number three, teach them you mean what you say. And you say what you mean. Be consistent. Don't, and don't do this, parents. I, I've made this mistake. We've all made this mistake. Okay, if you do that, you're grounded till Jesus comes. You can't keep that, Right? You're never going to drive again, ever. You're never, ever going to get to, you know, make sure the punishment fits the crime. And if you're going to be grounded a week, then they're grounded a week. Don't give in after three days and feel bad for them because they will, they will lose respect for you. If you're with me, say, I am. 
We got we to do this to teach them to respect. Teach them you mean what you say. Say what you mean. Be consistent. Number four, teach them. And it's, this is controversial, but it's important. Teach them you're not their buddy. You're not their buddy. You are their parent and you can be their friend, but you are not their buddy. My son is 19 going on 20. Now he's becoming my buddy. But when he was 12 and 13, I wasn't his buddy. There were days I didn't want to be his friend. <laughs> but respect was there. And we have a great relationship to this day because of it. Number five, teach them by modeling respect. Teach them respect by modeling respect. Oh, I meant to tell you guys this. I, this is too good to pass up. I, I told you that story about Caleb, me yanking him out of the car and all that nose to nose. My daughter, uh, Caitlin, who's 17, get ready to be 18. Almost every week, she asks me this question on Friday or Saturday before Sunday. Dad, are you going to tell any stories about me tomorrow? Because I have to like clear all of them with her, you know, make sure that I can tell them. And, and I said, no, but I have one I'm going to tell about your brother. And I told her the story that I just told you guys. And as soon as I got done with the story, she is serious because she goes, Dad, that is a great story. You need to tell that one tomorrow. <laughs> she loved that story. Teach them respect by modeling respect. What I mean, your kids are watching what you do more than they're listening to what you say, parents. You can't ask your kids to be respectful if you're not respectful. Where does it start? With your spouse. You can't be disrespectful to your wife and expect your kids to be respectful to you. You can't be disrespectful to your husband and expect your kids to be respectful to you and other authorities. You model that respect, starting in the home. And being res respectful to your kids, too. There's a right and a wrong way to discipline in a respectful way. Be respectful of other authorities, like law enforcement. You know, be, yeah. You know, teach them that. They're there to help us, not hurt us. Don't be calling them names and stuff like that. You know, show respect uh, to law enforcement. Show respect to your boss. You don't want to be calling your boss names and all this kind of stuff, especially if you work at Orchard Church for me. Okay? Um, just other authorities. You're modeling respect for your kids. Uh, we don't have time to go to all these. It's going to be your homework, but I gave you some verses there in Proverbs. The results of disrespectful kids, I'll just tell you, it's not good. If you have disrespectful kids, they're going to rob you, they're going to curse you, and they're going to bring shame to your name. Children, here's, here's why we want to have respectful kids. I think you'll agree with this. We want to raise respectful kids so that they will respect other authorities, so they will respect their school teachers. Amen? So they'll respect their coaches, they'll respect police, they'll respect their bosses, and most importantly of all, so they'll respect the ultimate authority, which is God and His Word. So, parents, we have a responsibility to teach our kids respect. So we've talked about popular sins, drunkenness, greed, disrespect, and we've saved the best, or should I say the worst for last. It's the granddaddy of all sins, it's the sin of all sins, and it's the sin that leads to all other sins. I mean, every other sin starts with this sin. Any guesses? It starts with a P. Pride. Pride is the ultimate sin. It's talked about over and over throughout the book of Proverbs. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Avoiding the sin of pride. Proverbs 6, 16. It says, these six things the Lord hates. And he hates them because they're sin. And they're hurtful and harmful. Yes, seven are abomination to him. And here's what tops the list. Verse 17. Can we say it together? A proud look. Everybody say a proud look. Pride. It's pride. You know, pride is the cause of drunkenness. Pride is the cause of greed. 
Pride is the cause of disrespect. I've told you before, the, the middle letter of pride is what? I. The middle letter of sin, I. Pride is about me, myself, and I and doing what I want to do instead of what God and his word and his spirit guide and lead me to do. Pride is the root of all sins. William Barclay said it like this. Pride is the ground in which all other sins grow and the parent from which all other sins come. It was pride that started all sin in the human race. It was even before humans were created. Pride led to the fall of an angelic being created by God. His name was Lucifer. But one day, Isaiah 14 says, he said he had an eye problem. I want to be like God. I want to sit where God sits. I want people to worship me like they worship God. And he fell. And now today, we don't know him as Lucifer. We know him as Satan, the devil. He used those same tactics on Adam and Eve. And they had not sinned. He came to them in Genesis chapter 3. And he said, you know, if you eat of this tree, God doesn't want you to eat it because then you'll be like God. And you'll You'll sit like where God sits, and they fell into that. Pride led to the fall of man. And that disease of the sin of pride is passed on to all of us. One writer said it this way, Pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. Pride. Let me just show you how this is mentioned several times. We're going to look at several, several places real quickly. Follow with me, if you would, in Proverbs, beginning in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 25. Proverbs 15, 25. This is one of the most popular sins in Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 25 says, The Lord will destroy the house of who? Of the proud. Look at uh, chapter 16, verse 18. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. I mean, we, we don't want destruction in our life, and our marriage, and our family, and our careers, our relationships. But pride leads to destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18, verse 12. Proverbs 18, 12. Here it is again. Before destruction, the heart of a man is what? Haughty. Now, this doesn't mean he's haughty with a body. It's a different kind of haughty. Okay? This is pride. This word haughty means prideful. And before honor is humility, the opposite of, of pride. Look at uh, chapter 21, verse 24. Proverbs 21, 24. Proverbs 21, 24, a proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. One more, Proverbs 29, 23. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him what? Low. It'll bring him down. We think pride will bring us up. The scripture says, nope. Pride will tear you down. It'll bring destruction. It'll bring you low. But the humble in spirit will retain honor. Humility is the opposite of pride. D.L. Moody said it like this. I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's word, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition of the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty, prideful spirit before a fall. And we've all seen it. Pride destroys marriages. Pride destroys families. Pride destroys us financially. Pride can destroy our careers. Pride can destroy our friendships and our relationship. Pride can destroy churches. I mean, you, you, you show me a marriage that's struggling, I'll show you pride on one or both parties. You, you show me kids that are disrespecting their, their parents, I'll show you pride. 
You show me people that don't have their finances together and don't have a budget and don't have a plan, I'll show you pride. Pride is the root of all sins. But here's the good news. There's a remedy for pride. There's an example that we can look at so that we can overcome the pride that faces us just about every day that we wake up. I mean, the alarm goes off and the Spirit of God says, you should get up. You should be responsible. You should go to work. Pride says, I'm going to hit the snooze button. I'm going to stay in bed today. Here's the cure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. But be what, church? Humble. humble. The opposite of pride. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He's going to give us the perfect example of how to be humble and put away pride. What did Jesus do? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He could have, but he didn't. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he did what, church? He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He is our perfect personification and example of humility. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Christian means little Christ. That we take off pride and we put on humility. And it's something, I don't know about you guys, but I have to do that every day. Many times throughout the day. And when I allow pride to slip in, all it does is bring destruction and cause troubles in all relationships. And the cure for pride is Christ-like humility. Imagine how different our marriages and families and attitudes at work and other relationships would be if we all put on Christ-like humility every day. Do you think it would make a difference? It would radically change all of our lives and relationships. Back in the 70s, um, I had a, a football hero uh, named Roger Staubach. He was the uh, quarterback, legendary quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And he took the Dallas Cowboys to four Super Bowls. They won two of them. He got the MVP in one of the Super Bowls. He was the first player to win the Heisman Trophy and the MVP. First player to ever do that. And later in his career, after he, he retired, he was interviewed about his relationship with his legendary coach, Tom Landry. And Tom Landry was known to, to be a, a genius play caller. And everybody thought that, that Tom Landry and Roger Stock just had this great relationship, but he said it wasn't always that way. He said, when I first started playing for the Dallas Cowboys and Coach Tom Landry was my coach, what I didn't realize was he was going to call all the plays. He was going to tell me when to pass. He was going to tell me when to run. He was going to tell me when to go for it on third down and when, when fourth down and when not to. And only in emergency situations could I call my own play. And he made it very clear, Roger, you better not be wrong. And he said, and, we, and I struggled with that. He said, out of greed and out of, out of pride, I was disrespectful to my head coach, Tom Landry, because I was the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, America's team. I felt like I should be able to call my own plays. And he said, the turning point in my career and the history of the Dallas Cowboys was the day that I had to put away greed and I had to put away disrespect and I had to put away pride and listen to my head coach. 
And Roger Staubach later said this, once I did those things, I experienced harmony, fulfillment, and victory. And we won two Super Bowls. And the same can be said is true of the Christian life, isn't it? Once we put away greed and pride and disrespect, and we respect our head coach, which is God, and his play calling, which is his word, we will experience the same things that Roger Staubach experienced. Harmony, fulfillment, and victory in our marriages, in our homes, and in our life. And isn't that what we all want? Then let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, we got a Cowboys fan over here. Amen. I got one. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that we would all desire to experience harmony, fulfillment, and victory in our lives as we submit to you and your word and your will and your spirit, that we would put away the popular sins of greed and pride, disrespect, drunkenness, and experience life as you've designed it. Not just life, but life more abundantly. And with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, how many of you would be honest enough, no one looking around for just a minute, myself, and you would say, you know what? I want to have harmony, fulfillment, and victory in my home, in my marriage, in my workplace, in my relationships. Would you pray for me, Pastor Doug? Because I want those things. And so I know I, there's some popular sins that I have to be aware of, and I need to put those away. Can I pray with you? Would you slip up your hands if that's your desire? God bless you. Hands everywhere. Mine's up with you. But I pray that we would put away the popular sins of Proverbs that would humbly submit to you, your word, your will, and your ways, and your Holy Spirit would do a work in all of our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our finances, our church, our workplaces, and they would experience the abundant life and victory and fulfillment and satisfaction that you've intended for all of us. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Let me ask you this. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, your Lord and Savior. The only way you'll ever accept Christ is by humility. Coming to the point in your life where you understand that you have sinned and you come short of a relationship with God because of your sin. And that there's nothing you can do about it. And you don't have to because God has already done something about it. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He shed his blood. He gave his body to pay for your sins. And all you have to do is humbly submit and give your life to Jesus. Invite him into your life as Lord and Savior. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll give you new life. You'll have a home in heaven. And he'll begin to guide and direct your life. And you can experience victory, fulfillment, and satisfaction. If that's you today and you've never made that decision, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision right now. Right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not a magic prayer. They're not empty words. But if you put faith and belief behind this prayer, you can invite Jesus in your life today, right where you sit. I'll help you with the prayer, but the words have to come from your heart, a heart of faith. And you can invite Jesus in your life today. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? It goes like this. Jesus, I call on you today. I humbly submit to you. Come into my life. I accept you by faith. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I want to experience your grace and your mercy and your love. Thank you, Jesus, for loving and saving me. Thank you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Nobody looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'd love the privilege 
to pray for you, that from this day forward, you would grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus. Would you just slip up your hand right now for prayer and say, yes, I, I prayed that prayer of faith. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you, sir. God bless you up in the top. I see you. God bless you in this section. Anyone else? Just slip up your hand. I, let, put it up high so I can see it. Thank you. God bless you. Several people. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer. Let me pray for you. Father, I just rejoice and we celebrate those that have put their faith and trust in you in the 8 o'clock service and now the 9.30 service. And we pray for those who, who may make that decision in the next service. Lord, I, we just we never, ever get used to or tired of people submitting and giving their life to you each and every week. And, and we celebrate with them. We pray for their growth and their relationship with you as they grow in your word and your spirit guides them. And that we would come alongside them as a church and disciple them and help them to grow in their walk with you and bring other people to Christ to experience the gift of salvation like they've experienced. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of so many people here at Orchard Church. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think we got some things to celebrate, church. Amen. Amen. If you made a decision for Christ, you raised your hand and said you accepted Christ this morning, please let us know about that on your connection card. Drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by so we can just continue to pray for you and minister to you, help you on your, your journey with Jesus. Um, if you're a first-time guest, thank you so much for being our guest here at Orchard Church today. I uh, hope you filled out your guest connection card. We'd ask you to turn that in, drop it in the offering bucket when it goes by. We are not interested in your money today, guest, but we are definitely interested in getting to know you better. Uh, all we're going to do is send you a thank you note in the mail and a free gift. So guests, please let us know that you're here today. I hope you guys enjoyed the book of Proverbs this summer. Today was the last day. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun, very practical. Um, I, I encourage you guys, keep reading Proverbs. Man, I, I, that's something I do a lot. I read through Proverbs. There's 31 chapters, one chapter for every day of the month. I know a lot of you have been doing that. Just keep doing that, and you'll learn something new every single day and every single week and every single month. Um, next Sunday, super excited to start our next four-week series on the life of Elisha. We've uh, subtitled this A Tale of Ridiculous Faith. How many of y'all can use a little more faith in your life? I mean, to see God do some amazing, miraculous things. Man, I'm super pumped about this series. You're going to hear some stories uh, from people in our church who've stepped out in faith, done some amazing things. It's going to be a great series. So next Sunday, we'll kick off Elisha, a tale of ridiculous faith. Uh, right now, we're going to stand. We're going to close in a response of worship. Worship through giving. We get to be generous. We talked about that today. Let's stand. God bless you guys for being here. Have a great day. <laughs>